One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Hey there, dirtbags. I hope you're having a great start to your 2021, this year that it, uh, was promised. A new dawn, a sliver of hope in a sea of darkness. I, for one, am so fucking happy to be alive right now. And I'm not just saying that just to sound positive and, and be annoying. Toxic positivity is not what I'm here for. I'm here to just try and remind you that how fucking insane it is to be alive, to, to, to just exist. It's kind of a fucking... I don't even know how to start. I don't even know how to begin. Um, I did eat mushrooms recently, so this might have be what what inspired this feeling of just like wonderment and awe of what it is to be. And I hope you all can just join me in thinking about that for a minute or maybe spend a little bit more time each week if you've got the time, and I'm sure you do. You just may not think you do. To think about that. Think about the mystery of the universe and how fucking crazy it is that we're here right now. Um, like Carson Oliver, former guest on the podcast, my former roommate, dear friend of mine. Uh, he showed me this video or some videos a while back of this dog named Mr. Bubs. I think he's a Chihuahua breed or mutt of some sorts. And, uh, he just makes the most insane growling noise. And it sounds kind of like a wood chipper or like a saw cutting through some like dense oak. And, he just it's just insane. He's just like this crazy looking dog and his owners seem like really sweet, funny people and he seems like a really sweet dog. But I guess what I'm trying to say is just like it's insane that Mr. Bubs exists and that the internet exists and I get to watch videos of him when I'm feeling blue. Um I don't know. It's all it's all pretty fucking bizarre and I hope I hope that I'm making sense right now and I hope I haven't lost a bunch of listeners like two minutes into the podcast because we got a long way to go. So anyways, please just join me in a quick moment to think about how bizarre existing is. All right, back to business, I guess. Uh, this week's episode is with my friend Sarah McCormick, and I'm very excited for you all to hear this conversation we had. She's not the typical guest that we have on the show. She's a doula and a midwife's assistant, but she texted me a while back and she was like, I've been kind of living out of a bag or having a go bag since the pandemic began and you know because she's around newborn babies or, or uh, folks that are giving birth and she's got to make sure that she's not exposing them so she's got to limit her exposure to other people and so it's made it all kinds of complicated and interesting and she was like I think I'd be a great guest on the show I thought it'd be really interesting to have her on here and Sarah's just a great and dear longtime highway friend and We've got a great story of how we met, and I'll tell you about that more. But real quick, I want to talk to you about how you can help support the show if you're a fan of the show. 
The best way for you to directly support the show is to become a patron over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's kind of an ongoing Kickstarter that you can decide to make a monthly or yearly donation to. So you find an artist or a cause like the show or myself that you support and you want to throw an extra couple bucks to each month. There's a whole lot of really cool stuff I've got planned for Patreon this year, so please don't miss out. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month, or you can sign up for a yearly membership in which case you pay for the year up front and you get a couple months free. For the lower tiers, I think it comes out to just over 30 or $50 for the year. It's a great way to support the show and support my music as well. And it's also a great way to get to know me as a musician, a performer, podcaster, filmmaker, and just human a lot better. So if that's something that interests you, uh, it's, it's not a big expense, and it's a great way you can help me out. For $10 a month, you can get your very own shout-out here on the show, just like my friend Sammy Kinney. I believe I met Sammy during the summer between 5th and 6th grade. Her older sister, Peggy, was a babysitter for my family. And she would always tell us about her little sister who lived on a boat with her parents and they sailed around Mexico for most of the year or something. I can't really remember because it was so long ago. But when I first met Sammy, I thought she was just so cool. And uh, she was super tan. And I don't know, she just talked about her life just like it just seemed so exotic living on a boat while I just like had to go to fucking school every day. It was it was like one of the first times in my young mind I was able to think about what it would be like to just get up and go. And we've stayed in touch over the years, and she's been a big supporter of my music and my career for a long time now. She's also an artist herself, and I'm so stoked that she's finally started to make prints and different pieces of her art available to purchase. Uh, You should check her out on Instagram at w.rabbit.arts. So that's the the at symbol, w.rabbit.arts, with an S at the end. Uh, Thanks so much, Sammy, for the support at Patreon, and I can't wait to give you a giant hug at one of my shows when those things are safe to happen again. If you aren't in a position to make a contribution to the show through Patreon, but you still want to contribute, there's lots of ways you can do that in which you don't have to spend a dime. First off, you can share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Just find one or two of your favorite episodes and share it with a friend or coworker you think might enjoy it. You could also leave us a rating and a review in the iTunes store, and those make a really big difference for us, and they really won't take you very long at all, so we'd really appreciate that. Another way you can support the show is to listen to some of my music. Now, I know I've plugged my Charles Ellsworth songs on here before, and if you're a new listener to the podcast, please go listen to my music and follow my artist profile on whatever streaming service you use. Listen to my newest songs, Laundromat or Max and Geraldine, and if you like them, and this is really important, be sure to add them to a playlist you listen to regularly, as well as click the little heart to save it to your Spotify or Apple Music library. I've got a new video coming out on YouTube. It's a live solo acoustic recording of one of the new songs off the new record. So follow me on, subscribe to my YouTube channel, um, follow me on Spotify, all of the all of the things. Just like find me on the internet and like watch and consume my content because that's a way you can support the show. So if you're looking for some new music to get into, I've got plenty. Thanks so much for listening to me plugging the business up front. Now it's time for the party in back, as they say. Uh, <laughs> God, I sound so douchey. Anyways, we got to keep the lights on somehow, and every little bit helps a whole lot, and it's very much appreciated. Now, there was a two-year period in my 20s that I spent a lot of time on the road with my buddy Trace. And we could record an entire season or probably two of this podcast talking with Trace about the insane shit we got into on the road. 
and I really hope we do get to cover some of that ground someday. But for now, all you have to know is that when we left on our first tour that lasted something insane, like eight or nine weeks, uh, Trace and I had only hung out at like three or four shows that we had played together in Salt Lake City. It was like a relationship you'd develop with a member of a band from a similar scene or from your similar scene. So I guess a similar band from your scene. Uh, you see them every few weeks because you're playing a show together and you're on the same bill. Uh, they drew a rowdy crowd that liked to drink whiskey and beer, and so did I. So we ended up on a lot of the same bills together for a short period of time. At some point, Trace and I started a ritual of sharing a joint in his van before the show. And um, that was where we spent most of our time together that wasn't just like hanging out watching some of the other bands play or me watching his band play and he watching my band play. Um, at some point, Trace's band broke up and he started a solo project called Shadow Puppet. And we decided to hit the road together. And so we planned this two-month tour. So I showed up on day one, and he had a puppy with him. And his name was Trooper. And he was maybe six months old. I don't know. Trace was like, I got a dog, and I'm bringing him. So I was just like, okay, dude. <laughs> and so very quickly, Trace and Trooper became some of my dearest friends. And those two years, and it wasn't all two years, but like we'd, we'd be on the road for a few months, get off, and then like get hang out and work and make money and get caught back up and then get all fidgety to leave town. So then we'd plan a, a tour for a couple months and then we'd leave and do it again. And that kind of happened on and off for two years. And it'll probably go down as a couple of my favorite years of my entire life. It was just, just exactly what you want to be doing in your twenties and a lot of what inspired this podcast. At one point we were driving from Buffalo to Boston and we didn't have any shows in between. And I think we had a couple of nights to kill between them. So on the drive, I started searching for either open mics for us to play or national forest for us to camp in. We found an open mic at a coffee shop in Albany that looked promising. And we headed that way with our little DIY cardboard cutout CD packaging and t-shirts. And they let us have three songs between the two of us um, because we kind of got there a little late and so they only had one slot available. So three songs isn't a whole lot of time to win over a crowd, but Trace and I were probably five weeks into this tour at this point, and we were just on the money with our banter, our performances, harmonies, and the beautiful thing was the other performances and artists in the rooms responded super well. We sold out of CDs that night. We had to stop at a Kinko's the next day to get printouts and glue sticks so we could make more of our little DIY CD cases. That night, one of the people I met was Sarah, and Sarah bought one of those CDs, and we've stayed in touch pretty much ever since. She, at some point, messaged me and asked me to send her another copy of that CD, my album Charles Ellsworth and the Dirty 30, because she had lent it to her father, and he wouldn't give it back because he liked listening to it so much, which was one of the, just such a cool thing for some of the text me and tell me. So Sarah and I, is, she's a dear friend of mine, and I'm so glad we got to catch up on the phone a few weeks back. I hope you all enjoy this conversation, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. Hey, Sarah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, this is great. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. It's nice to hear your voice. How, how've, uh, how's your holidays been so far? My holidays have been very quiet and very needed. <laughs> Good, nice. You've been been able to relax a bit. Yes, actually. Um, I decided to basically isolate from work. Even um, I am taking some very needed time off after the most 
insane year of my life, which I know everybody's saying that, but, um, yeah, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've, I've barely, I've only left my house to go to the grocery store once in the last week, which sounds normal for most people for this year, but is not normal for me. Wow. So what's been going on this year? Well, uh, my obviously besides, Yeah, sorry. Obviously, besides the the global pandemic and uh, um, the election and and all of the everything. <laughs> right. Um, how well, you you've been crazy? Well, because of the pandemic, my workload uh, quadrupled. Really. Um. So the home birth community completely blew up in the sense that everybody wanted to have their babies at home instead of going to a hospital. And so oh, in, sorry, go ahead. So instead of my typical um, 10 to 12 hospital births per year, I did about 40 home births this year. Um, oh wow, forty from yeah. ten to twelve. Yeah. Holy smokes, that's that's insane. Right, hence life on the road. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, you want to fill everyone in that's listening into like what exactly it is you do? You've been talking about like home births and uh, hospital births. Like, what what is your your title? I guess. I have a couple of titles. Um, my main one being a midwife assistant, specifically home birth midwife. So a midwife assistant is trained specifically in helping a midwife during a birth in terms of making sure she has all the sterile tools that she needs, having them when she needs them, anticipating what she's going to need next. Also anticipating what the family is going to need next in terms of, like, emotional or physical support. Um, and, yeah, so I, I do home birth specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a birth doula and a postpartum doula. And so that work is non-medical and is primarily emotional support. And most people who are hiring a doula are choosing a hospital birth. So they'll invite a doula in as part of their care team um, to have that consistent support in the room because, unfortunately, the labor and delivery nurses and the hospital midwives and the hospital obstetricians can't spend an entire labor with someone. They have to leave and check on other people and chart and come back. And so Mm -hmm. people will hire a doula to have a consistent person in the room. Okay. And I'm also a licensed massage therapist. But that was not deemed essential this year, so it's been very uh, a very small part of my year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. wow. So, I mean, it, it totally makes sense that your your home births have quadrupled this year, essentially, because of, you know, like, you know, a lot of people not wanting to be in hospitals reasonably so. Um, what – let's uh, – um, like, what have you done differently this year to handle this extra workload? Oh, good question. Um, 
not much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they've had to learn how to do things differently um, in terms of, like, being on the road, right? Where Mm -hmm. in the past, as a doula going to a hospital, I didn't need all that much. Um, You know, there's vending machines. I might have some snacks in my bag that I'm taking with me. I haven't needed very much in the past. And this year is the year that taught me that I have to be prepared at all times, really, to be away from home for sometimes three, four days at a time. Okay, yeah. And that's that's why, you know, to give the listeners some background, um, because you're, you're not a very traditional guest of this show, but I love the idea when you would text me about being on here because it feels like this year especially you've been living on the road. You've been living out of a suitcase, out of your car at times, just um, having to be able to get up and go whenever. And this is all kind of starting to make sense to me and I assume to the audience. Yeah, so I, I thought I reached out to you because I thought that the uh... – the life on the road, fifty mile radius edition would be pretty comical to some people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's very interesting because, like, while me and all of my rock and roll friends have been sidelined and forced to stay home, like people like you and a lot of essential workers have been forced to m- maintain their routine, but sacrifice so many of their comforts in order to maintain that routine. Right. While everyone else was asked to stay home, we were basically forced to leave home for longer. Yeah. 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 It's wild. Um, I'm uh, congratulations on reaching the end of 2020 though. I think uh, that's something, you know, everyone deserves some credit for, but you especially. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited for 2021. Um, I'm already fully booked for home birth until September because September people don't even know that they're pregnant yet. Um, <laughs> so the, wow. the the work isn't going to stop and we need more midwives. That's basically, basically what it comes down to. Wow. I didn't, I had no idea that there was a sort of midwives shortage at the moment. Yeah, I think kind of across the board. And, I mean, that's a really long midwifery history that I could get into. Um, but, uh, yeah, New York State and home birth midwives have not always been friends. Mm. And while it is legal to have home birth and have home birth midwives in New York State now, there's very little of them because of how difficult it has been to get here. Oh, gotcha. In order to jump through all the hoops and, and, you know, red tape and dot the I's and cross the T's in order, the bureaucracy in order to become a midwife is, is that difficult in New York State. Right. Yeah, it's really difficult. Can you explain to me or, well, like I kind of, yeah, could you explain to me kind of um, what some of those difficulties are? And then I, I would like to jump back and kind of get a little bit more of the background of like where you're from and, and you know, how we got here. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, gosh, it's, it's really complicated, um, the midwifery stuff in New York, but I'll try to be 
short and sweet about it. Mm-hmm. They basically require in New York State, um, midwives have a master's degree, which is perfectly fine and normal, um, except that traditional home birth midwifery was always done through apprenticeship, right? I'm sure you can imagine that the best way to learn this skill is to actually work with elder midwives in people's homes for a couple of years and really learn the trade that way. And so yeah, the master's, right. And so the master's program doesn't really align with that. And New York state has made it illegal for people to become midwives through apprenticeship. They just don't even recognize it at all. So if you're a neighboring state and you practice, um, or you learn through apprenticeship, you cannot cross the border and practice here, even though you have probably taken the exact same licensing exam as the midwives who went through the master's program. Wow. So you take the same exam for the same license, but because your path to midwifery was different, it's not recognized here. That's, oh man, that sounds kind of Backwards. I mean, I mean, definitely, obviously, schooling and education has their place and their their value for sure. But uh, um, you know, I feel like if if you're able to do the job and pass the exams, I don't I don't know. Um, but you know, I'm no expert. Is that is that pretty standard in like most other places other than New York State? Do they do you know if they allow um apprenticeships? Most other states do. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, that's bizarre. Um, yeah. And I mean, the master's program is amazing, right? And a lot of home birth midwives have done that. Um, mm-hmm. It really sets you up for helping people, right? Because not every midwife is a home birth midwife. There, We have tons of hospital midwives. Yeah. And birth center midwives. And, you know, so the master's program is incredible, but to not have the apprenticeship option in the state, um, it just it makes it so less accessible. Um, it, I believe that there would be more midwives, especially midwives of color. Um, you know, if if we can do the apprenticeship route here. So, I mean, hopefully we can turn this around in the next decade or so. But we'll see. Yeah, because um, I mean, education can be such a force of gatekeeping, and if you need to have a master's degree, that means you have to have a bachelor's degree. And you know how many people can't even afford bachelor's degrees, and then to go into right. debt for a master's to become a, a midwife, it, like you're, it doesn't make sense because it, the, the, I, don't, I mean, I don't know the finances personally. You know, I don't know anything about it, but education ends up being inaccessible to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to take the same exam at the end anyway, I don't know why it matters how you get there. But <laughs> I mean, because someone's making money off the tuition, someone at the state levels, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm always just like, follow the money. There's somewhere in all that bureaucracy, somebody's getting paid. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, that's, that's me being the old conspiracy theory Chuck. Yep, same here, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Sarah, thanks for um talking with me today. I wanna I wanna go back to tell us about, you know, 
where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? And were you, was it a, in a home birth or in a hospital? Do you remember much of it? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I don't remember my birth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just wondering. Uh, there are people who do hypnosis for that, though. If you are interested in exploring your own birth, there are people who believe that they can hypnotize you for you to remember your own birth process, which I think is insane, and I will probably do it someday. Yeah, you'll have to um, tell me how that is, because I don't really <laughs> want to do it, but it might be this low-key, like, really cool thing that I got to try. Yeah. Um, so I was born in Troy, New York, um, the daughter of Karen and Michael, uh, who were best friends and loved each other from the time they were five years old, um, until, yeah, yeah, they grew up next door to each other, um, you know, in, in Brownstone, Troy, you know, Troy is kind of half city, half suburb. Uh-huh. And my, my parents grew up in the city and, you know, so it was all the kids around the block all grew up together and then married each other and had a bunch of babies. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so I'm the youngest and the most rebellious. They had a difficult time with me. Um, <laughs> but they will also tell you that I was harder on myself than they were uh, harder on myself than they were hard on me. I used to ground myself. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I used to get wow. really angry at the things that I would do, and I would ground myself for a week. Um, and what, what did those groundings look like? What did you, uh, what would you force yourself to do? Like, you weren't allowed to leave your room, or? I would give them all of my CDs so that I couldn't listen to my music. Oh, Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. It was really what, hard on myself. <laughs> what age was this? Oh, gosh. Probably like 12, 13, 14. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, the, yeah, keep going. Sorry, and you have siblings? I do. I have um, two older brothers and an older sister. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, I was probably around... 17 when my sister became pregnant with my niece and that was kind of my first introduction like foreshadowing I think of the career that I have today mm-hmm. because all I wanted to do when um I was when my sister was pregnant was take care of her and then I was there for her labor and birth and um took care of the baby for almost a year afterwards because my sister went back to work and I just like committed all my time to taking care of my niece. Oh, wow. Uh, And then I graduated high school and um, suffered from this like decision fatigue. I could not figure out what to go to school for, if I should go to school. There were so many things I wanted to learn and I wanted to do. Um, And so instead of going to college, I actually decided to seek out an apprenticeship um, for body piercing. Okay. Around this time, what are you thinking, like, what's what's making you decide you want to try that? Part of me doesn't really remember, uh, except my father was a very 
skilled union man and basically drilled it into my head that if you like, drilled it into my head that you should have a skill that you can take anywhere and that people are going to want. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and so instead of going to college, I was like, okay, well, what skill can I have and will it take me anywhere? And my rebellious little brain was like, oh, well, people love body piercings. I think I could be really good at that. Uh, and it turns out I really was. I, I was a piercer for six and a half years. I did over 3,000 piercings in my career. Oh, wow. And somewhere along the way, another friend of mine became pregnant and invited me to be at her birth. And she was having a home birth, and I went to that birth, and there were a couple of midwives there. And afterwards, one of them approached me and said, you were really incredible at supporting your friends. How long have you been doing this? How many births have you been to? And I was like, uh, none. I'm a body piercer. <laughs> like, I poke holes in people for a living. And I also, like, bartend on the weekends or wait tables, you know, like, fill-in sort of stuff. Totally. Um, and she was like, you should really consider becoming a doula. And I was like, what the fuck is a doula? Like, I had never heard that word before. Yeah. <laughs> had no idea that this was a job that you could have. And, I mean, I was hooked after that. Like, finding out that that was a job that I was good at, that somebody – with experience even recognized and said you're really good at this. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I've always been somebody who seeks out mentors and um, elders in that way. And so to have somebody look at me and go, you're really good at this, you should do this. Uh, I felt like yes was my, was, was like my only response. Yeah, totally. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's so, um, it's it's amazing what just a little bit of encouragement or just like some, just even a stranger can just recognize something in you and say something and it can and how much it can mean to you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I love that and, you know and and I think um, I love that that you can kind of pin pinpoint to like a time where this is like where it kind of sparked and and from that point did you did you immediately start um, seeking out how to be a doula. And also, could you explain to me and the listeners, or the listeners and I, um, what uh, what the difference between a midwife assistant and a doula is? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I can totally pinpoint that moment. Um, driving home from that birth after the midwife said that, I was in the Berkshires, and I pulled over at one of the lookout spots where all these beautiful mountains are. Mm-hmm. Um, so on my way home from this birth, I pulled over, was staring at those mountains, started crying, and just knew in my whole soul that I needed to quit everything I was doing and only focus on birth. And I have a picture of the mountains in the sky from that day that I'm so glad I took because I get to look back at that and I'm like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> um, I love that. That's really cool. 
Yeah. So I started studying that whole summer, took my training at the end of the year. And I'm sorry, was, what um, age are you at this point? Sorry to interrupt. What age are you at this point? Um, how old am I? I, I was 23. Okay. And you start studying to become a doula at that point. Yes. And so I went, I started self-study, kind of reading all the books that I could about birth, took a training, um, kept reading more and more about even postpartum stuff. So life after the birth with a newborn mm-hmm. baby, how to take care of your own body, those kinds of things. Took another training specifically for that. Um, eventually left the piercing world. I'm, I retired. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Got fired from a restaurant because uh, I started birth started to take off for me a little bit after um after just studying for so long then I finally landed like three clients in one month mm-hmm. and told the restaurant like I can work my normal shift but if somebody goes into labor then I might have to call in and they said they were fine with that but then when it actually like came down to it they fired me they were like yeah we can't have somebody who's not reliable I was like, but it hasn't even happened yet. You didn't even give me a chance. Yeah, it's, um, but, uh, it's pretty funny how that works at restaurants. <laughs> how they say one thing for a very long time, and then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, this doesn't work. And you're like, well, but it's been working for, or you said it would yeah. work. Yeah. It's just yeah, funny I how had, that works. I had never actually called in. I'm never somebody who calls in sick. The client hadn't even given labor, like given birth yet. Um, but they just decided that it wasn't going to work out. And, um, gosh, I took that really, really hard. That was really hard for me. But um, so I quit piercing. The restaurant fired me. And it was just kind of that, like, sure sign, ironically, that I was on the right path. I was like, mm-hmm. well, if this guy's firing me, that means this has to take off. Like, totally. it has to go. Um, and yeah, you have so, to figure out, in that moment, you have to figure out how to make it happen. Right. Yeah. And if I had stayed at these jobs, I would have been less likely to make it happen because I would have had that, like, safety in that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you don't work near as hard. And, and yeah, I know. No, that's how this year has been in a lot of ways for me is is having the bar job kind of disappear and then touring disappear and it's like oh no now I gotta like make a podcast and the internet start working <laughs> right so, you do know yeah. exactly what that feels like to lose that safety net I've watched you this year you know exactly what that feels like yeah so it's a it's it's a wild thing but it's, it can also be like a really good opportunity for people if they can rise up to it and, and step into it so tell me about how you how you leaned into this I basically found other birth workers who were willing to make me part of their team. So a lot of 
doulas will work in partnership with another doula so that they're sharing the on-call time instead of being the one and only um, person for this whole family, right? Gotcha. Because that can take a lot out of you. Totally. No, it makes sense. So you you split kind of split the work. Um, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you're both there for the family, and the family gets to know both of you. But sometimes it's just helpful to have a buddy, right? Like I think about it like the buddy system. <laughs> totally. Uh, so I started reaching out to other doulas, started partnering with a couple of people who already had a pretty regular business going Mm -hmm. and so that helped me as a new doula one get to watch what other doulas were doing I got to make some money um you know getting clients with them and then also just finding my own footing and my own confidence and you know it's kind of like an art in that way every doula is different we're all going to teach in a different way we're all going to talk in a different way we're all going to use different coping techniques with you like and I I got to sort of look at all the things in front of me with each jewel that I worked with and kind of pick and choose like yeah I want to do that no I don't want to do that that looks like it's working and that's clearly not working (laughs) you know yeah and then yeah so then eventually I went on uh started going to a community college to take some anatomy classes because that's part of birth that started to really intrigue me. I went to school for massage therapy because I was, uh, I turned into a complete anatomy nerd, though I hated science before in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to train as a midwifery assistant. So it's just kind of been this whole evolution over the last six years. Okay. Um, and the difference between a doula and a midwifery assistant is the doula does nothing medical. They're just like physical, emotional support that's hired by the family. And mm-hmm. the midwifery assistant is hired or contracted by the midwife herself mm-hmm. um, as support for her and her practice. But that doesn't necessarily mean the midwife's assistant isn't also going to, like, act as a doula for the family. So it's almost like doulaing the midwife and the family, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I trained for that at – Anybody who's listening who might already know about the farm or doesn't know about the farm, it's a pretty cool place to know of historically. Um, Sounds amazing, just from the the, name. (laughs) The farm. uh, The farm community in southern Tennessee, uh, Summertown, Tennessee, to be exact. Um, I trained on the farm as a midwife's assistant with midwives who are pretty – um, I hate the word legendary, but I'm going to use it. You, you're about to name drop? Well, they they are known for bringing home birth back to the United States. Oh, okay. Which is 
only true in the sense of like white home birth. So I want to clarify that, that the okay. black community um, and people of color have been having home births forever. Um, but the farm is most well known for bringing home birth back, claiming home birth um, when the obstetrical community took over in the 50s and 60s. So in the 70s, a group of from San Francisco caravans across the country to create their own commune in Tennessee. A bunch of them were pregnant, and so a couple of the women are became they self-taught. Um, they became midwives to catch all these babies that were being born on the farm, and. Now they teach midwives and midwives assistants to this day, and they're slowly retiring. And so I drove down there last summer to learn from them before they have all retired. Oh, that's really cool. That's, uh, what was that experience like? It was amazing. It was like as soon as you crossed the gate into the actual farm community, I swear there was like – this wall of love that you walk through. I don't even know how to explain it, but uh-huh. um, it was it's just so peaceful. It's a really, really magical place to visit. Um, the midwives were just, just so sweet and so smart, and uh, I feel really, really fortunate that I had that opportunity to go down there and learn from these women who until then had, were just like women in history books and textbooks. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really I, cool. So I'm um, sorry. Oh, were you, did you have something to say? No, please talk. <laughs> um, I was going to ask like when, cause at this point was this, was this like a final training for you to become a midwife assistant um, or had you already been doing that and this was just like an extra training and if so like what what kind of things were you learning are they they teaching you more about i i don't know like different situations like i've never been to a birth so i just don't even have the slightest idea of like what you learn how to do you know yeah so until that point i had only worked as a doula so emotional support right that's you and I had just graduated from massage therapy school, so I was starting to work with people in their bodies, um, specifically pregnant women, um, to help them with baby position, optimal sort of positioning stuff for birth. Um, and so I went to the farm for midwifery assisting specifically to learn how to help a home birth midwife so that I could start mm-hmm. attending home birth instead of hospital birth as a doula. Gotcha. And so I came home from the farm. Um, they taught me all the really basic um, things like how to take a blood pressure, how to listen to baby's heartbeat during the labor, right? Babies talk to us with their heartbeat. So um, there's specific things that you look for when 
they're um, on the monitor and you're listening to the baby's heartbeat. So, um, so sorry, learned... one more time. You said babies talk to you with their heartbeat? <laughs> I sound like such a nut, don't I? No, no, no. Um, Explain. I mean, I guess I, I know what you're saying. They Like, you can kind of read what's going on or how the baby's doing based on how their heartbeat is? That's right, yeah. So if babies are happy and healthy during labor, then their heart rate is going to be something specific that we're looking for. And if they're actually telling us, I'm really stressed out, these contractions are bothering me, you know, because babies are experiencing labor just as much as the woman really is. Uh-huh. As much as the birthing person really is, um, I try not to say "woman" all that often. I slipped up. Um, so, if babies are happy in labor, their heartbeat's going to be one thing, and if babies are not happy in labor, their heart rate is going to be a different thing. And uh-huh. so, um, so I learned about that on the farm, so that when I'm home with a midwife and she's listening, I can also kind of cue in. To what is happening. Gotcha. Um, and then just that blood pressure and what normal low risk labors and births look like as opposed to high risk and if you should be transferring to a hospital or not. Because home birth, it's not like home birth or bus. It's home birth if everyone's healthy and we can stay home. Yeah, right? of course. Otherwise, we yeah. transfer to a hospital. Um, yeah, because you're not, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And it's, it's, uh, um, have you, have you had any situations like that where you're like, okay, we gotta, this isn't going well, or we need to like, obviously a hospital is a much different scenario than a home, but like, what like are what are some points at which you're going to be like we we need to get to the hospital? Um, I've definitely had a few transfer experiences this year where the midwife decided that it was time to go, or the family decided it was time to go. You know, it's not uncommon. It's not out of the realm for a family to say, you know what, I actually don't want to do this at home anymore. Can I please go get an epidural? And we're all like, hell yeah, I will totally support you in that. Let's go. Yeah, let's let's do this however you want to do this. Right, exactly. We're just, we're advocates for birthing however you feel like birthing. And you get to make that decision to change it whenever you want, as long as nobody's in danger, right? Of course. Um. I'll be honest, the whole reasons to transfer conversation, I'd rather just not really get into on a podcast. Yeah. Probably because because I'm not a licensed midwife and I'm just an assistant, I'd rather not talk about those things. Makes perfect sense. Um, okay. But that, that's <laughs> also, um, I love the, the concept that you're there in, like, I mean, obviously, you're you're there in the service of like safety and comfort as far right. as like the baby and the birthing person. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what I I mean, I can't imagine 
Um, you know, I've, I've, I've barely had a girlfriend for longer than like a year and a half. So, um, not that you, you can have a baby in shorter time than that, I guess, but like, I'm just so far removed from the idea of, um, of pregnancy or having children that I'm, I'm, I'm just, so I can imagine it. for me, it's just like this whole, the whole like, um, gray, scary gray area where it's just kind of like just all fear and anxiety and worry. And I imagine for new parents or soon to be parents, it can be that way. So what are some pretty common like conversations you have with the first like soon to be parents, you know, with a couple, maybe your first or second time meeting with them as, as a doula. Conversations around fear. Yeah. Fears or, or like, I don't, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Like how, like, or if, or what are some common questions that they ask you as far as, like, you know, things you can tell they're worried about and that you just, like, almost have, like, a go-to phrase of, like, this is this is how I answer this question because everybody answers it, does it or asks it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I don't really – let me see how I can answer that because every family is so unique. Um and not everyone feels afraid, even when it's their first time. There are some people who are just really excited and I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Like can't wait, right? They're so <laughs> excited. And then there are people who are really afraid. And so oh, you can't then, <laughs> And so then we would I would kind of go back with them. Fear is I think a fear conversation is one of my favorites because we kind of get to go into the psychology of things and scroll all the way back in their life and figure out where the fear came from. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, one thing, one thing that makes me feel like a broken record that I'll share with you that I know other birth workers also say to people, and I want to roll my eyes every time I hear myself say it, but it really works and makes people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) is usually the partner to the pregnant person, um, they might feel like the doula is coming in and kind of replacing them. And they really want to be included most of the time. And so one thing I know a bunch of us say is um, I'm going to use him and her just for the sake of it. But Uh normally I'll say like you, like talking to the partner, I'll say you know her better than I will ever know her. Like you've been with her for years or not years, but somehow this baby was created, right? Mm -hmm. You know her better than anyone. And I know birth better than the two of you. And so the three of us will need to work together to be a really strong, solid team. Mm -hmm. And that it's not, that I am only working for the pregnant person. I'm really working for both of you. Yeah, and and the person to be born. And the person to be born. Yes. I, I, at risk of sounding like a complete weirdo, I have a really special relationship with babies, um, even in utero, and I really... Um, 
I really think about them and, and talk to them as if they're here <laughs> uh, because they are. And I'm totally not a fan of the classic when the baby gets here conversations because the baby is very here. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense if, if you're dealing with an actual pregnant person. But for me right. and this, this conversation right now, as far as I know, the baby is not here. <laughs> right, right. But when you're sitting in the room with a couple and she has a, you know, they, there's a big belly present, like there's yeah. a baby in there and they're in very the much room. Very so, yeah. And they can hear me talking and they're very much a part of the conversation. Um, that makes sense. Um, yeah, there's one, this might be interesting to you, Chuck. There's a woman named Penny Simpkin who's been a childbirth educator for more than 50 years. And one of her favorite things to tell people is that after the 20th week of pregnancy, so halfway through a pregnancy, the baby can actually hear pretty well. And she tells everyone to play music for their babies. Oh, really? And then after the birth, she will remind them to play the same music that they had played before and see how the baby responds. And most babies will respond like as if they are remembering the music. Really? That's mm-hmm. that's very cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's primal. Music just it it connects to us on a on a universal and deep level, and so that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I <laughs> use music in labor for people to change the energy and shift them. Um, You know, if things are feeling really stagnant, we play more upbeat music. If things are feeling like they're too chaotic, we bring it down with like slow, soft music. And it just, it really, music is a huge part of, of labor when people are with me. Mm -hmm. No, that's uh, I, I love that idea. Um, I just had a thought that, uh, like, have have you ever done psychedelics? No, I haven't actually. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> some my friends in college and I used to do them a lot. I mean, quite a bit in college, and and now I still do them every here and there. But uh, we we used to always have like one sober person that we'd call like the babysitter or like the the trip guide. And yeah. um, that that person would help, like, you know, if someone started spiraling, like, try and talk them out of it or, or set the mood in the room or if, if someone's having a weird bad trip, like, change the lighting and, you know. And it's, it's yep. the way you describe that and me now thinking, um, you know, obviously birth and, like, a, a mushroom trip are very different. But they're also, I like, in a way, the, like, a portal opens up to, like, another – to somewhere else you know what I mean yeah. and, I, and I'm not saying it's the same place or anything I've never I've been born but I've never been at a birth I've never given birth but it's I, I, I imagine that part of what you do as a doula is you're just kind of guiding that trip like kind of in a sh- shamanic way yeah yeah that sounds the same so you you have had like shroom doulas <laughs> instead yeah. of like a birth doula you've had like a psychedelic doula yeah, my friend Cassie, she used to be one of the best ones at it because she was like, 
she's like this tiny, like five foot two. I don't know. She, she's and like we're all grown men, and she would be the one just like babysitting us and keeping us in check and whatnot. And uh, shout out Cassie. I doubt she's listening, but that's yeah. great. Hi, Cassie. Yeah, she's great. She's a social worker now, kicking ass in California. I, I love her to death. Um, <clears throat> well, um, I want to. Could you walk me through a little bit of the process of, you know, how you find? Uh, I mean, I, I guess as a midwife assistant, you're not really responsible for finding the clients, but more when when you're doing as a doula, I guess you 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 do that. Like, what's the process of finding clients? and like what it looks like, like how far into the pregnancy they typically are or, and like what the process is between when you kind of agree to work together and until after the baby's born and you, mm-hmm. um, and like when you, you all stop seeing each other, what's that like process like? So in terms of finding clients, I don't, really operate the same way as most business savvy people do and I rely on word of mouth Mm -hmm. Um, I love that connection I love when somebody calls me and they're like my friend hired you two years ago or so and so told me about you Um, I just freaking love that I really do Mm -hmm. I I'm sure that I should have a website. I'm sure that I should have like social media presence. And for years, I just haven't been able to bring myself to, and maybe I never will. I don't know. Um, I mean, if, if the word of math thing is working and you don't have to do the social media thing, trust me, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely some slower times of year that get a little worrisome, but then it always comes back. I Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I work really hard at not having a scarcity mindset and just believing that things are going to come to me when they're meant to. Uh And I also, sorry, keep going. And I also try to just keep good connections with other people in the area who are, you know, like, Maybe they're prenatal yoga instructors or maybe they're chiropractors or, you know, still working with um, pregnant people. And so if we're all just referring to each other, then it's this really beautiful flow. And I love staying off of social media and having these more personal connections. Totally. Yeah. No, that, that, that connection makes perfect sense. It's not all happening because of some um, programmer's algorithm, you know, and not to like discount computer programmers or whatnot, but it's like, it's, it's actually a sense of community. And it, and if this, if the saying it takes a village to raise a child is true, like, you know, you should start with the birth. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, um, Something you you said, I wanted to stick a pin in or, or really kind of, point out real quick is you, you mentioned something of a, a scarcity mindset and I and I love um it's it's like a um something I've been kind of dealing with because I because I've uh you know growing up we didn't have like a ton of money and, and I've just never in my adult life really been 
extremely stable. I've obviously like, you know, like a, um, been in much more fortunate situation than a lot of people, but like you can kind of get addicted to that scarcity mindset, especially when you haven't ever had much of like bounty um, or excess. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, where did you pick up that phrase scarcity mindset? And also like, what's your, I don't know, what's your relationship with um, scarcity and excess or, um, or, you know, like if you've been, uh, it sounds like you've been kind of some form of freelance uh, for most of your adult life, you know, working at restaurants and whatnot, but also doing piercing and everything. Um, I don't know. Talk to me a little bit about that and your, your relationship with, with that sort of thing. Yeah, where did I first hear that from? I think I first heard it from one of the doula partners that I had that I worked with for over two years. She and I were really close. And um, she's a little bit older than me in age and was still is to this day very much a mentor in my life. Mm-hmm. And it had magic of being somebody different um, who brought it up to me because maybe at some point I was complaining about not having enough money or um, just fear around not having clients and not having the money and those kinds of things, especially when I was in school full-time for massage therapy. Yeah. Um and she must have brought it up to me. And to be completely honest with you, I haven't done much further, like, reading or learning about it other than just kind of internalizing this idea of fear around money or rather rather establishing a lack of fear around money, even mm-hmm. if even if I'm really low on funds, kind of a belief, right? It's kind of like faith. Totally. Believing that I can find what I need or it will find me. Yeah, 100%. I like the way you put that. Which is, a terrifying idea in itself even even as this is coming out of my mouth I'm like are you really naive like this sounds terrible I mean there's because there's a difference between just like um I I don't know how to put it but like it's uh I remember at a certain point in in my 20s or whatever late teens yeah, I'm just like, man, money's just a thing I guess I'm going to have or not have forever, you know, because, like, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're, um, I was talking to my friend Jeff White the other week about it, or I can't remember who, but, like, you know, when I got my first job at 12 and I was making five bucks an hour, it was like, oh, man, if I worked eight hours, I could make 40 hours a, or $40 a day, you know, that's so much money because I'm, like, 12 years old. Um, right. And now $40 doesn't, you know, won't buy you lunch in some places. Um, 
you know, and, and so then you get to a, 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 another age and you're, you, I don't know, I start to realize it's like, oh, it's just like when I was 12, but the numbers are a little bigger. And now that I'm in my 30s, it's just like when I was in my 20s, but the numbers are just a little bigger. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's, uh, and you're like, oh, so money's just a thing I will either have or not have forever. So if I spend a lot of energy negatively worried about it, um, it's just, it's just like a double negative, you know, even if mm-hmm. the, like from a practical standpoint, it's like, not only am I broke, but I feel like shit about it. And you're like, eventually when you're broke, eventually you're not broke. You're, you're less broke, I guess. <laughs> and so I don't know. I mm-hmm. kind of try and think of it as like, yeah, you, that, that idea that it's like, Oh, it's coming to me. Like money's coming my my way and like it doesn't mean you're not working for it and you're not out looking for it or whatnot but it's like what you're looking for is also what you're what you seek is also seeking you and if it's like financial stability like you got to be open to it coming to you not just like oh, i'm going to be broken all the time or you think that think that there's not enough money that's the scarcity mindset that there's not enough and that you're always scrambling to get it where if you have more of a mindset of like no there's plenty and i can find it i need to just keep putting in the work and it will come to me somehow it just works better yeah you know i don't know maybe yeah, it's just I a also, positive attitude i i also think about it more now in terms of trading like i am trading this to some like this amount of money to someone because they're giving something back to me mm-hmm. so rather than like i'm spending like I'm losing this money right I'm spending this it's it's a trade really and no one owns the money if you think about it that way yeah no one owns it it's just a thing that we keep trading back and forth Mm -hmm. um so if I'm trading this amount to this person and they're giving they're giving something back to me and I feel like I need to trade something else to another person so that I can kind of get that same amount back. Like it's all just, we're just trading around the same stuff that doesn't really belong to anyone, but it's just our system. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's it's really weird. We're it's just not even trading. real. Yeah. It's not it's even like, like Pokemon real. cards. You can just think about it as if it's a Pokemon card. Like I'm <laughs> For sure. And I, and I obviously know it's like, yeah, for anyone who's struggling to pay for, for food or whatnot, it's like fuck you. It's a Pokemon card. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I get I it. I get it. I didn't. We're yeah, not I don't trying mean it that way. It's more like yeah. trading. What can we trade to get you that food? Right? What do we? Totally. Right, because I mean, I, I grew up in a not so great. My parents were not very great. My parents, I mean, worked their lives away. You know, my mm-hmm. father worked until he was dead. You know, we've talked about this, the union man stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I think that the mindset for me needed to change because I really didn't want, even if I was going to be stuck in a crappy financial situation, the same way my parents were, I really wanted to be happier doing so. So the mindset thing to me, right. If it is just kind of a naive faith sort of thing, it, it's better for me mentally than where I was when I was like a teenager in my early twenties. Right. Totally. I, I agree. And I, I think you and I kind of relate 
on that level in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of people our age can relate to that because, like, uh, people our parents' age were, you know, they, they were working these jobs that, you know, maybe maybe weren't able, afforded the luxury of working a job that they really loved and just, like, having, um, like, they just knew they had to put in their time. They put in their 30, 35 years and get that pension and that retirement. They're going to be they're going to be okay. And, and now we've, we've kind of seen that kind of get gutted and not that it doesn't exist anymore, but it's like your chances at it are much lower. So now we've got, you know, people who I affectionately call dirt bags, listeners of this podcast, myself, you know, yourself, like we, we, we're, we're kind of like piecing together a living and kind of like figuring it out while, still being able to be happy and, and more enjoying our lives now and right. being like, well, I guess I'll figure out retirement or, you know, like I, hopefully I can still open beers when I'm old and I can just like work yeah. at a bar or something, For um, sure. you know, and, but at least like, at least the, my, my twenties and thirties and forties, I'm going to really enjoy Whereas I, yep. I don't guarantee my, I'm not saying my parents didn't enjoy them, but they sacrificed a whole lot in yeah. order to, um, to have not very much. And I'm going to just have not very much and but sacrifice much less, you know, have a much better time doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you and I both, I'm sure very simple people. Like I need a little bit of food in my fridge and I need a roof over my head and hopefully a car that runs so I can get to work and I'm happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't need much beyond that. Well, I need a guitar that tunes, <laughs> you know, tunes well. That's, that's really the main thing. Give me a guitar and right. I can figure everything else out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, eventually my life took me to 2020 as a, a brand new midwife assistant in a pandemic uh, with 40 births and living out of my car half the time. And that's how we got here, Chuck. <laughs> well, tell me what, um, so after you find a new client um, and you, you like about how far into the pregnancy are they? Does that vary depending on different clients? Yeah, that's different all the time. Um, some people will get a hold of you as soon as they find out they're pregnant, and then other people, it's like a couple of days till their due date, and they're like, oh, please. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's different all the time. But that time is probably 10-ish weeks before they're actually due to have their baby. That's ideal. How many weeks did you say sorry? Um, around their 30th week of pregnancy, so that's like 10 weeks before the baby is technically due to be born. Um, oh, okay, that's a pretty, yeah. It's a pretty comfortable time because then we can have a couple of meetings to get to know each other, you know, dig deep about what fears there might be, what they're really looking to achieve in their birth and all those kinds of things. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. You get time to figure it out, get a feel for each other and decide um the you know do you help kind of put together a birth plan with them is that more the mid midwife uh yeah as um if more so for hospital birth people like to have a birth plan but if okay. they're gonna give if they're gonna give birth at home um 
it's not as needed, but we'll still do it for the fun of it. Okay. And um, how long after the baby is born do you are you still in contact typically with your clients? I my goal is to stay in contact um, for at least six weeks. Um, usually, just kind of touching base once a week, unless people need more support than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people I stayed in touch with for years because kind of become friends and they pictures of our kids or we go apple picking every September or you know like some people really do kind of adopt you as part of their family and not every birth worker is fine with that some people really want to create that business boundary mm-hmm. um, but I am perfectly happy friends and want pictures of your kids <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I I'm just I work a little differently in that way where like the yeah, the whole businessy model, like don't be friends with your clients thing. After you have your baby, if you want to stay friends with me, I'm totally happy with that. Um, nice. I love getting invited to first birthday parties. I love three-year-olds. Like invite me to any three-year-old's birthday party, and it's the happiest day of my week. Uh, <laughs> I just love kids. So if people want to keep me around, I'm fine with that. Well, that also makes sense considering you and I met at an open mic like something like 10 years ago in uh, my very first time in Albany. Mm-hmm. And we're yep. still friends. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love to keep friends. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense. I, I do too. I've, I'm, you and I are very similar in that way where it's like I can meet someone at a bar or show or, you know, I mean, obviously a birth is much different, but like, um, I can, uh, you know, it's a much more significant point in someone's life than than some show at a dive bar I played. But still, you can make those connections that last for a very long time. I, I guess yeah. I, what I'm trying to say is when I play shows, it's about the equivalent of giving birth. So right, yeah. You're, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met seven over seven years ago. Yeah, that was before over a year before I moved to New York City and I moved to New York City yeah, seven years ago, October. So yeah. we met we met eight ish years ago. Yeah, yeah I remember eight. when I when I had my apartment down there, um I think I had just moved into my apartment near that bar and it was like twenty thirteen. Yeah, that makes yeah. that makes sense because it would have been um, it would have been like October 2013. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, uh, I wanted to see, let's see, um, before we wrap it all up, I want to ask, do you have any advice in case anyone's listening right now that, like any generic advice you would have for someone who might be attending a birth or giving birth sometime soon? Oh. For anyone who might be attending a birth, my advice would be to not fill silence with stories that aren't necessary. 
Um, silence, silence is okay. And letting, letting the birthing person have their emotions and not filling it with, with like external anecdotal stories is important. That's good for, for somebody... me. <laughs> that's, that's good for me to know in a, um, if if I'm ever there because I tend to do that. <laughs> Most people do. It's kind of a nervous thing, right? You you uh-huh. wanna you almost feel like they need a distraction, but they really don't. Okay. Um, for somebody giving birth, June. I super generic would just tell them to to follow what's true for them, follow their own intuition. Um, We are animals and we know how to do this. Mm -hmm. We just need to get self-control out of the way, right? We need to get out of our um, smart intellectual human brain and let our old mammalian brain take over. Yeah, totally. And everyone is capable of that. I believe that. Totally. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, I think that's it. Oh, okay. Um, I, I I love both of those answers. Those are great answers. Um, I think uh, I think we could even use those in life. You know, I, you don't always need to fill silence with with something. You know, it's better to have like in like a meaningful silence than a nothing story, I guess, mm-hmm. or a nonsense story. Um, yeah, and trust trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. Um. I really, I really like both of those. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, is there anything that you would like to say to the podcast listeners um, that you haven't or any, um, you want to plug your social media or plug uh, <laughs> any, any nonprofits you think that should get some attention, anything like that? Ooh, um, well, social media, probably not. Um, people, people will probably see me on your live stream shows anyway. Yeah. Because um, I'm always commenting way too much in there while you're playing. Very much appreciated, except it does make <laughs> me forget the lyrics sometimes when I see the comments that people post. <laughs> Um, let's see. So I actually, I wasn't sure how deep you were going to get into this actual, like, life on the road, tips and tricks sort of thing. Yeah, Um, if you have anything, I would love to dig deeper. I I was going to ask kind of what what your day-to-day looks like um, right now or or how, how that living out of the car had been like. Yeah, so I actually I actually wrote down some notes and then oh. also asked 
my midwife, the one, the woman that I have worked with this whole year, uh, if she had any advice for your listeners. Oh, hell yes. Um, and she's, she's pretty funny. Um, her, the one thing that she really wanted me to tell people is, uh, if you are going to be in the car for a long time, do not ingest anything that has MCT oil in it unless you really want to poop. Oh, okay. So don't <laughs> eat MCT oil. Otherwise, you're going to have to stop somewhere. Right. Yep. And if you're on a really long drive, that's going to suck. Right. That's Everybody a- knows how hard it is to find a bathroom sometimes. I had to, being on tour forced me to get over my fear of public toilets. Yeah. Yeah, right. So when I was a kid, I would, I, I would never, I would never use the restroom in public. I'd always wait till I was somewhere comfortable. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started touring and it was like, nope, this isn't an option. You either got to go or, or you don't go and you don't want to know what happens when that, when you do that for too long. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and sometimes, it's not even like I can't just stop at a gas station. I'm in someone's home while they're in labor and I have to go. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> like now I have to be comfortable actually like pooping and showering and brushing my teeth and all of those things just in somebody else's house that I've never been in before. Wow. Crazy, That's... right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, what, what do you do to get ready for, for that sort of thing or for being being in that scenario? Um, so I always, no matter what, I always have to have a bag packed as if I'm leaving. So somewhere in my house, some, mostly in my car, to be honest, um, you will find a backpack that has changes of clothes, toothbrush, deodorant, all of tons of snacks, um, essential oils, um, not because I use them so much for myself, but sometimes I'll use them for people in labor. Um, Do you have any specific favorites? It basically uh, looks like I'm going away for the week. Sorry, you're, you're cutting out. It basically looks like you... Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, are you there? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Um so it basically looks like what? So it basically looks like I'm always going away for the weekend even if I'm not. Okay, cuz you got to have like 72 hours or something like that worth of stuff. I try to, and it's pretty rare that I'm that I ever need that much stuff. Mhm. But it's one of those things where the one time you actually get stuck somewhere for 72 hours, you kick yourself for not having enough. So then you're always prepared to do it. Again. Uh-huh. Right. You never know when somebody's going to go into labor. So I could be eating breakfast and get a phone call and need to grab my bag and leave immediately. And I don't, and the reality is I don't know when I'm coming back because I don't know how long that person is going to take for their baby to be born. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that. Right. Sometimes I'm only at work for four hours. 
and babies just come out and everything's fine and great. And then I get to come home. And then sometimes I'm gone for 20 hours or 12 hours or 72 hours. Um, So I have to be ready to leave my home at all times of day and night. Dang. Um, How... What what sort of essentials do you have to have packed in your go bag besides, like, socks and underwear and whatnot? I mean, just the classic, you know, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, um, uh, socks, underwear, change of, um, mm-hmm. change of, like, change my jeans, change my shirt. Um, I always bring a ton of snacks. I bring a ton of, um, like, protein bars, Lara bars. Um, I also bring a lot of, like, beef jerky sticks because I need something that isn't just sugar. There's tons of sugar in a lot of the protein ones, so I I will just eat beef jerky a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, always... I always bring my own, um, like, giant thermos or, like, hydro flask of water just in case I don't have, like, there isn't great water somewhere. Because um, uh-huh. I also, we also work with a large Amish community. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I just like to have my own water at, at least until that runs out and I can use whatever is available to me. Totally, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Are you? Uh, what's the longest birth you've been uh, a part of? Um, the seventy-two hours. Yeah. Yeah, right. I I like got a phone call on a Wednesday morning, sometime, and I grabbed my bag and I left, and I don't think I came back until Saturday night. Wow. And you're yeah. just at that person's house, and the whole time they were like in labor. That one, that one was actually a hospital birth. Yeah. Wow. So I was at the hospital for for over seventy two hours, and it's really bizarre and weird for your family and friends because you know from Wednesday to Saturday, anytime somebody texts you, you're kind of just not answering them. Mm-hmm. Or if you are answering them, you're saying, I'm at a birth. I'm still at a birth. I'm still at a birth. Sorry, all of our plans are canceled. And I think it's really hard for people to conceptualize that that's me going to work. Like, I don't get to just clock out and leave and eat lunch. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah, does that, does that cause... Um difficulties in maintaining friendships or, or relationships or anything like that? It really does, actually. Um, I definitely don't have, like, a huge close-knit friend group in that sense, which is maybe why I love keeping my clients as friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, oh. I need people I, I, I need people in my life who understand my lifestyle, my work. And um, so, of course, over the years, there are, pe- there are people who have faded away and there are people who have stuck by and who, um, 
you know, it's, it's really okay with them if I don't answer them for three days. Um, totally. Or people I can call when I'm exhausted and crying after a birth and they'll listen to me and acknowledge like going to work for me, go like my day at work was really shitty or, <laughs> you know, cause sometimes birth isn't always really beautiful. Um, yeah. Sometimes we have really bad days too. So those are the people that I get to keep around or the, are the people who will um, be flexible with me when I don't have time to answer and who totally. will also let me cry when I've had a really bad day. That's, I mean, that's what good friends essentially yeah. are. Yeah. Um, it was weird for my parents in the beginning. They didn't really understand. Um, and my mom is, is so sweet and so great about it. And my dad was really great about it too. Towards the, Like after I did it for a couple of years and they really started to understand what my job was, um, yeah, my family's really great about it. Isn't it wild that, like, sometimes with um, family, it can be difficult, like, if you go into a, a not very traditional career or if they don't fully understand the scope of, like, what it is you do, there can be friction there. And it's sometimes, at least in my experience, it comes from, like, that they don't understand what it is I'm doing and they're, they're like, a little bit worried about that it's not, like, it's not just because they don't understand it, they think it's, I don't know if not viable is the right way to put it. But does that make sense? Um, it's not, like, a traditional yeah. nine-to-five or whatever you clock in, you clock out. And so... I, yeah, I think it, it was a little bit more fear-based, uh, because being self-employed in their generation was unheard of. Totally. Right. So um, I think they were more afraid that that I was going to end up in a really crappy financial situation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was more like that. Or the time. Like, I don't always get to show up on holidays because sometimes babies want to be born on holidays. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Sometimes, um, like my buddy, my buddy Jesse Cuby's got a Christmas birthday, and I was always like, "Dang, that'd be crazy to have been born on Christmas." Yep. Yeah. Just like, just like Jesus. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. What else is in my notes here? Um. Oh, so the midwife. Uh, so other than the MCT oil thing, she said that she never leaves the house now without four drinks always. Four she drinks? Says, four drinks, like four thermoses. She says she always has water. She always has tea, like an herbal tea. She always has a protein shake, and then she always has a fermented something, so like kombucha. Really? Yeah, because she, I mean, keeping your body super healthy while you're on the road, which I know you've had experience with or have struggled with in the past, I remember you talking about. Yeah. Um, so, like, no matter what, she has these four things to keep her super healthy. And <laughs> she's funny. She says she always has a feed bag, like she's like a farm animal um, of just, like, an entire bag of 
of snack, right? Any like dried fruit, um, beef jerky, protein bars. You just have a feed bag so that you don't have to stop and get um, fast food somewhere. That's a, that's a good call. Usually that's how I do my tours. I've got like in the front seat some form of, yeah, big, big thing of food that's just like, oh, you really, you want to stop and get Taco Bell? No, you should just eat this apple that's in this bag or you should eat, the, you know, like this granola bar or this thing because right. you don't really need the Taco Bell. It just sounds tasty because it's Taco Bell and they got Baja Blast and it is tasty. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then and the trickier part is making sure that that stays stocked. So every time you go to the grocery store, even if you feel like you don't need the protein bars, you should just get them away because you know you ate a couple last week, right? So it's like always mm-hmm. restocking that feed bag, always making sure that your, like the clean clothes or the dirty clothes are swapped out and replaced with new ones. Um and then pretty much everybody these days has like an easy pass or AAA, but those are the two things that are really, really crucial for people in my line of work. I actually missed a birth in September five minutes because I didn't have an easy pass and had to, yeah, five minutes. I missed a birth. The woman gave birth in her bathroom. Well, she was home birth anyway so that part was normal but I actually missed it by five minutes because I didn't have an easy pass and had and had to take a longer route oh no yeah terrible feeling I will never leave my house without my easy pass (laughs) yeah that's uh that's rough anyone listening that doesn't know what an easy pass is it's just like a, a thing to help you get through tolls and because where I'm from, they don't have toll roads. So I got out to the oh, East Coast, okay. and all, all of a sudden, they've got these toll roads, and it's just like, what the fuck? I got to pay to drive on the fucking road? Right, and you um, have to slow down to nothing to stop and pay and then speed up to 65 miles an hour again. Yeah, it's all. And um, it takes up time, and apparently it takes up five minutes of time. <laughs> Dang, that's wild. That's I didn't know that... Were you far away from where the, she was giving birth, or was she, did she just like give birth really fast? So, or the, so they, she, I'm assuming, is a woman. Yeah, she she is a woman. Um, she, it was both. She gave birth really fast, and I was further away. So, her labor itself was like 40 minutes long. And it um, took you 45 minutes to get there. And it took me 42 minutes to get there. Oh, my God. Oh, it's my something God. crazy like that. And so it will never, like, those circumstances, somebody even giving birth that fast is so incredibly rare that, like, it'll never happen again. But that's what I mean by, like, the one time something happens to you that go, feels like it went wrong, you never let it happen again. Like, now I will always have my easy pass, Right. Totally. Failures like, aren't, not that that's a failure, but like a failure doesn't become a failure if you if you learn from it. Or, you know, a mistake right. isn't a mistake because you, if you learn from it, you know. Yeah. So, I think that's a uh, common theme. 
And then always knowing where the 24-hour gas stations are unless you're really good about filling up your gas tank during the day, Mm. right? Like I can never, ever, ever just let my cars, like let my gas light come on and say, oh, I'm going to get to that tomorrow, right? Like because that'll be the night that somebody goes into labor and they're an hour away and there's not a gas station that I can easily stop at and then I'm fucked. Yeah, no, totally. That's uh, That would be a problem, running out of gas on your way to a birth. Right, a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> so no matter what, my gas tank is pretty much always at least half full. And then once it gets to the half, then I fill it again. Well, I appreciate that you said it's half full and not half, half empty. Wow, I didn't notice that myself. Thanks for pointing that out. That's funny. But, yeah. So you've got you got a positive outlook on life. You're bringing these babies into a positive environment. I feel really good about your ability mm-hmm. to to do that. Trying to. Thank you. <laughs> well, Sarah, um, I would love to. Uh, I mean, if there's anything else there, like I said, a, a nonprofit that you know that you'd like to plug for the listeners to check out or anything. Um, or there, if there's anything to, else you'd like to add. Yeah, actually, um, that's a great – okay, let me – so in the birth world, um, if I could plug this little place, mm-hmm. there is a um, – gosh – there's a company called Mama Baby Haiti. You spell right? that and it's Mama Baby Haiti, like the country, H A I T I. And I just got an email this week from them. They're not like a nonprofit in Haiti. And mm-hmm. they are trying to build a birth center in Haiti. And a lot of, I mean, there's a lot to go into, but I'm just going to send people to this website if they're interested in helping the birthing people of Haiti who are really, really struggling right now with lack of care and lack of options. Mm -hmm. And this, um, this foundation is trying to build a birth center and they're looking to raise $60,000. So not even that much in the grand scheme of things, right? Um, Yeah. So they can go to um, mamababyhaiti.com, and there should be information there. Um, I'm trying to pull it up myself right now, but my phone isn't being great for me. Um, but that should be pretty simple, right, Mama Baby Haiti. I'm going to, I've got my computer right in front of me, so I'm just going to double check it. Okay. It's mamababyhaiti.org. And their their goal is to lower the maternal and um, neonatal mortality rate in Haiti because um, Haiti's really struggling. And I'm definitely sending a donation over. I've donated to them a few times. Um, might even volunteer in Haiti someday if that can 
if I can figure out how to make that work. Oh, that's red. Yeah. Um, it's been on my mind for a while, and we'll see what continues to happen in 2021. But um, with this virus stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, they're looking to build a birth center, and they need $60,000. Well, I um, I hope anyone listening, uh, if you have the means and just the time to go check out Mama Baby mamababyhaiti.org. Um, the website looks beautiful, and um, I'm going to click around. And, yeah, see if uh, you can donate or share to any followers you have on social media and try and help them reach their goal to build a birth center. That's really cool. I'm glad I thought to ask you if you had anything to plug and you had something right offhand. Yeah, I yeah, thank you very much because I wouldn't have thought of doing that on your podcast either. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, um, okay, it's been so great talking to you, getting to know you a little bit better. I know we've been friends for a long time, but we obviously don't get to sit and talk for very often. So I, I really appreciate it, and I'm glad you hit me up about how your life this year has been very similar to living on the road and that you wanted to share your story with us. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. This has been really great. Of course. You uh, take care. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I hope you do another live live show soon. Oh, there will be one uh, coming up relatively soon. I think I'm actually doing one later in January. Um, I don't know. This, this podcast will air, I think, the second or third week of January. I think I'm doing one towards the end of January or in February um, for my patrons. So if you're not a patron yet, I know you are, Sarah. Um, but everyone else listening, if you aren't, go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and sign up so you can watch the live stream when the time comes. Great. Sarah, it's really good <laughs> to talk to you. You have a wonderful night. I know you said it's getting late for you, so you get to sleep and uh, um, enjoy the time off that you've definitely earned this year. Thank you so much. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you take care. Okay, bye.